Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is the briefing room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-sode where we dig into things that we've been watching and or listening to. I'm Terry. And I am Mary Beth. And this week we are talking Santa and a Hammer, Revisiting Cannibals, a terrifying short film, a whodunit sequel, a sci-fi horror <laughs> prequel, and a killer doll who comes back to life. Hell yeah. We got a lot. And... You know, this is uh, the start of December, and if you aren't subscribed to our Patreon, um, well, we just did a Seltzer for Life that dropped uh, two days ago, or no, yesterday, by the time this episode, oh my god, yesterday. what is time? Yeah, I was like, what? <laughs> Yesterday. I put it out um, today. <laughs> <laughs> and then next week, we're going to have a two-hour deep dive into Soft and Quiet. We have a lot of thoughts. A lot of them. And then the week after that, it's good talk. We um, are doing a kind of fun little spoiler mini-sode on Barbarian, kind of digging into that. So there's a lot coming your way. So make sure you are subscribed to our Patreon to help support yes. us and defray the cost of podcasting because it's a lot of money for those that don't know. It is. Please and thank you. Help, help us. us. Help, please. please. Help, help, help. <laughs> Let's get into the uh, the Christmas spirit, though, Mary Beth. Uh, let's talk about Santa and a hammer. Ho, ho, ho. So, I saw Violent Night, the new film where David Harbour plays Daddy mm. Santa Claus, and mm. he kicks ass. And kick my ass any day. Yeah, there is a lot of, like, he had a top, he's a top knot, he takes off his shirt Ooh. at one point, like, it's a whole thing. So, the film starts off with a drunk Santa uh, having and hawing about how kids only care about like video games and getting stuff this year. And it turns into a movie about Santa trying to help a family who was being held, a very rich family being held hostage for money by like a group of like mercenaries. It's very <laughs> weird. I had a lot of fun. It's way mm. too long. It's trying to do way too much. It's really dumb, but it's fun. Like it, it's, 
if you think it about it like even a little bit too hard, everything <laughs> falls apart. And like some of the dialogue is just ridiculous, but it's also just like it's stupid fun. Like it's it's t- it's almost two hours oh. long, which is excessive. Like it really wow. does drag in some parts where I'm like. You're trying to just do too much storyline. Like, there's a lot of it that could have been trimmed out, and it would have been just it would have been just as good. But it's incredibly violent. Like, Santa is fucking shit up, and I some of the kills in this are incredible. Like, it's got Home Alone vibes, and like, it's really it's more fun than I was expecting. <laughs> it's messy, but it's still fun. Like, holiday vibe. I saw it at like an advanced screening. It wasn't just press, and there were kids there. <laughs> hard r like this is hard rated r like why are there children here like it's definitely not family friendly but david harbour really fucking chews it up as santa claus it's quite fascinating to watch so if you want a fun like wild christmas movie and like you want to go out like with friends one night and want to go see a movie i would recommend it or wait till it comes out on digital That's Violet Night. It it was fun. Steve came with me for the for his first like, press screening, and I was like, "Wow, what an interesting movie for you to come to hear this press." I'm hoping for. to see it this weekend. Uh, I know we're going to see. Uh, there's a Gremlins movie party at um, at the oh, Alamo cool. that we're going to see Saturday night. So I think we're going to try to see it Sunday. I'm I'm really excited. I think it looks it looks fun. I'm a little skeptical about the t- that two hour rating. I mean, it doesn't need to be much. It's Santa killing people. Like no. I think they they do try to overcomplicate mm. it a little bit, and I think you can if you feel it, especially like in the okay. middle part, because it's like there's a there's building up to something with Santa, and it's not like a twist or anything, but it's like they do they 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 drag their feet to get to like the real badassery okay. of the movie. It just takes too long, and once it hits that, it's really fun, but it just kind of drags its feet a little bit to like really get started. But again, I had a lot of fun. I didn't feel the length too much, just, like, kind of towards, like, beginning, middle. It was like, okay, like, let's go. Yeah, see, I, I love I love holiday horror um, because I'm not I'm not really a fan of Christmas. I'm not, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I mean, it's not you know, yeah. something that I just, I love as much as other people do. So, like, I want to watch, if I'm going to get in the holiday spirit, I want to watch something like Krampus or something like this or something like Joe Bagos' movie that's coming out next week. Like, I want to I wanna see that kind of... If I'm going to see a holiday movie, this is what I want to see. So I'm, I'm excited that we have a little bit more holiday horror. Yeah, I mean, like, it's a pretty crazy one for it to be in theaters, like, as wide as it's going to be. So, again, I think it's it's so cool to see movies like this getting made. This is by the guy who did Dead Snow, by the yes. way. Yes! Any indication about, like, what it's going to be like? Um, uh, blood over Dead the top. Snow. It's great. It's like it's it's it itches a very specific scratch like in your head about just like kind of dumb cheesy holiday horror, but like is done well enough that it doesn't feel like oh my god this is just like this is a slog. So, tis tis the season, motherfuckers. Tis the season, motherfuckers. Tis the season. But so we're re- so now we're gonna revisit some. We animals. sure are. Uh, so. I, over Thanksgiving, I got to see Bones and All. Incredible Thanksgiving movie, 10 out of 10. Love that the Cannibal movie came out on Thanksgiving weekend. Absolutely incredible marketing. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> and I mean, you, you covered it. Everything that I like, I, I would say about this film for the most part, I think you covered. There's a couple things I definitely wanted, so I'm not going to dig too much into it. This movie is Scarred for Life Approved. I absolutely loved it. I think Luca is a fantastic director. The warmth that he brings to filmmaking is just 
It just fills my heart. It's too goddamn yeah. much. It just fills my heart. Like everything that he touches, just whether he's trying to induce horror or induce longing or melancholy, he just is able to, I don't know, imbue such an empathetic warmth into, into his movies that it just, yeah, it makes me wistful. It makes me melancholic. Um, and he can somehow make a movie in which uh, people are biting nipples off of people and eating them. Well, before they're like, here's the thing. I, I think this movie kind of pulls more from the zombie genre than anything else because, like, yeah, interesting. I've seen people call it a vampire movie. I could see that too. Well, it was. Yeah. Oh, speaking of which, so it was interesting because when I saw this at the Alamo, you know, 30 minutes before the Alamo, they play a bunch of weird ass videos, right? And they typically uh-huh. have some kind of connection to the movie. And some of them, I was like, I. Mm, as I was watching this, I'm like, I don't know where this is going. Uh, but they played Near Dark, which I can get because it's like vampires living yeah. in the fringe of society. I get that, yeah, yeah, that yeah. connection. They played a Lucky Charms commercial, which until I watched the movie, is like, why are we watching a Lucky Charms commercial? <laughs> they played a, a music video from Kiss before Kiss had the makeup on. And I was like, why are we seeing this? And then it made sense in the movie. Like, so it was all that kind of stuff. But I can see that vamp, that, that vampirum, that vamp, vampirum? Vampirism. Vampirum. <laughs> vampirum. We're creating new words here on Scar for Life. Uh, that vampirism angle to it. But what the two things that I wanted to talk about was... I have never been more attracted to Timothy Chalamet than I was in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) With his mullet and his ginormous jeans. (sighs) With the holes that are like, he's so tiny. tiny I could just break him with my finger. (laughs) (laughs) But there's something so, I don't know. Get you someone that looks at you the way that Timothy looks at his his co-stars. Like It's too much for my loins. And I was, today, I was, someone had shared um, John Waters' top movies of, of 2022, and this one was was on there. And his write-up of it just, like, cr- cracks me up. He, he says, is there such a thing as a butch twink? Which, yes, John, <laughs> there is. It's called a twunk. But, okay, we're going to move twink, on. Twink, twink, twunk. He says, yes, there it. is. And Timothy Chalamet goes all Larry Clark on us here. A soft trade hetero cannibal who kills an evil closeted gay trick so he and his flesh-eating girlfriend can feed. Is that gay bashing or cannibally correct love? Just asking. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but the other thing that I really wanted to talk about, and just very briefly, is the score, which is by Nine Inch Nails, Trent Reznor, and Atticus Ross, you know, love them and i think that this score is so unlike them it definitely i I I didn't realize it was them until like after i was like that's nothing i'm supposed to like a little heavier like heavier Mm -hmm. more kind of industrial sound Mm -hmm. so it was really yeah and you could see some of that like the the one thing that i really liked about the score is the way that it um, builds tension there are some scenes in here that are truly like really terrifying particularly scenes yes. with uh mark mark's rylance's sully when when she first meets him in the beginning and she's in this house and you're like this is full of danger he is weird and the music in there just it it really accentuates that tension so incredibly well but then there's a lot of warmth to this to the score which surprised me um it shouldn't surprise me because there's some tracks in in trent reznor's um vast overture that uh are full of warmth and, and 
and calmness, but I'm not used to that in his film scores. And there are some moments in here. There's a moment towards the very end where, where we actually hear Trent singing. And I was like, oh, I mi- well, first of all, I miss hearing that. But it's like such a, a tender moment in the film that I just, yeah, the music in this yeah. blew me away. It's perfect. It is a... Ruined my entire top 10 list. <laughs> really fucked Oh my up. God, I know. I need to think about... I need to think about both our top 10 for Scarred for Life and then also for something else that we might be doing. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, God. More on that later. More on that later. <laughs> uh, so what is this terrifying short film? Okay. So uh, if you are on film Twitter slash horror film Twitter, you've seen a lot of people talking about Skinamarink mm-hmm. and drama about mm-hmm. Skinamarink. Mm-hmm. Please stop circulating pirated links of it before it comes out, y'all. I understand that sometimes... Piracy is a way that people can access things that they don't have access to, but this is not even out yet. I'll get off my soapbox. I just, I'm not against piracy, but I'm against it when the movie isn't out yet and it's from an indie filmmaker who, like, definitely, like, needs as much support, like, financially as possible when it comes out. So please stop doing that. Um, The FBI, this has all been a joke. I've never pirated anything in my life. Um, but that's a long way of me saying that I actually finally watched the short film that Skinamarink is based on that is on YouTube called Heck that Kyle Edward Ball, the director, um, it's like basically a proof of concept for Skinamarink and I hadn't watched it. I was like, oh, well, it's probably just, it's, it is like very similar to Skinamarink, but it's 30, it's about like 28 minutes long. It's on his YouTube channel. I'll link it in the show notes for everyone if they want to check it out because that is... I'm bringing this up because people want to see Skinamarink, but what you can do to kind of get prepared is watch this 28-minute-long short film that it is, you know, it's kind of stretching the bounds of what we think of with a short film. It's, it's again, it, it's this time it focuses on a young boy. His mom is not there, and he wakes up, and he is stuck in this house for, and it, it, there's time cards that pop up. It's like seven sleeps, 10 sleeps, oh, wow. 300 sleeps. So you get this kind of, you see that it's like, you know, time is progressing. Time is still progressing and he is trapped in this house. Because in Skinamarink, we have two kids trapped in a house and can't get out. So it's, again, a very similar vibe. You don't see the kid ever. It's all like, you know, the camera is focused on TV playing cartoons or like corners of the room. It's bathed in blue light. It's just so incredibly off-putting. And it's wild watching, because I have the same feeling when I watch Skinamarink, but watching Heck, it's just really wild how Ball is able to conjure up these, like, very specific experiences from when you wake up in your parents' room and the TV is still on, and this staticky, and there's, like, a very specific glow in the room, and there's just, like, it's such a haunting experience, and I found myself looking at my phone because I was so freaked out. I didn't mm. want to look at the, at the, at the computer, like, at my screen, and... Once again, it, like it ends on like a really harrowing note, and so you know if y'all are trying to watch Skinamarink or like get an idea of what it is, go watch Heck. Again, it'll be in the show notes, but it's fucking creepy, and it's gonna get under your skin, and it's just like this. Kyle Edward Ball is someone to look out for for like weird experimental horror, because again, this is not gonna be everyone's taste. It mm-hmm. is very experimental in format. It's not your traditional horror movie. It's very much based around, like, vibes and sensory experience rather than, like, a narrative. So, you know, again, it's not going to be everyone's taste, but it's this pretentious-ass art bitch's taste, and it's real good. <laughs> it is. It, I, I I need to watch the short film because, I I mean, yeah. I like 
I like Skin and Marink a whole lot. Um, I, I was kind of wondering what was going on because um, all of a sudden uh, that review in like the span of a month has become my most read article on the site. Yeah. And I was like, why is this happening? And then I started to like realize probably why it's happening. So we need to support independent film people. So yeah, but then so I mean, just support him by watching it, watching the short. Yep. Um, the film is going to come out soon. Um, I won't say when, but it's coming out soon. So just, you know, hold your horses. I promise it's worth the wait. Watch the short. It'll scratch that itch until it comes out. And it's Hell. free. It's readily available. Mm-hmm. Uh, on that note, let's go from weird art house bullshit to a whodunit sequel. Which yeah. I know what it is. I, I mean, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty easy to figure this one out. Uh, I saw Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery over Thanksgiving as well. It was a good good weekend for movie watching for me. Have you have you seen uh, The Glass Onion yet? No, I haven't. I was away and I didn't have any time to go see it yet. But it's not, I, like this downside of it, like the upside for me and also the downside of it only being in theaters for a week is this is gone Netflix soon <laughs> so mm-hmm. I can watch it at home. Yeah, you'll everyone will be able to watch it uh the end of this month, the 23rd, I believe is when it's hitting uh Netflix. So if you missed its uh week journey in the cinema, you won't have to wait very long. And um, I okay, so I love Knives Out a whole lot. I think it's a great yeah. who done it. I think it's very smart. Um, I think the mystery is really well done to the point that like I was sometimes I find myself um, trying to outsmart the movie and figure things out. That happens a lot yeah. with who done it. And that movie kept constantly surprising me, and I allowed myself to be taken by it. I would say that a glass onion, that the glass onion is, um, it's not as good. I, I'm just gonna be honest. It's not okay. as good as Knives Out, but that's not to say that this is a bad movie. I think Knives Out is as close to a masterpiece of Who Done It, and this one is probably a three and a half. I would say for me, out of five, uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, and the idea is that there is this. <laughs> it's why it's weird watching this as uh, a muskrat has taken over Twitter because this is about this very rich person who's an entrepreneur who uh fashions himself as sort of a tech person that is trying to change the world and he has invited a bunch of his friends out to his secluded island mansion that he does every year they go do something wild and this year he sends this puzzle box that everyone has to solve and there's this really funny scene in the beginning where uh, his friends and Kate Hudson is is in this and she is absolutely fantastic. But Kate Hudson is playing uh, this character named Birdie J, who is like kind of like this big star. And then we have Dave Batista playing Duke, who is kind of an a men's right activist type character who like has like a Twitch channel that's blown up. Catherine Hahn plays uh, this other character. and Mommy? Mommy? Uh, mommy? Mommy? Yes. Mommy? And then uh, <laughs> Janelle Monet plays this person who yes. was a partner with Miles Braun, who's played by Edward Norton, who was pushed out. And all of them are invited, and they are like trying to solve this puzzle box. And as we see the... Th- uh, Birdie, Duke, and Claire trying to solve it. We also get to see Janelle Monet's character basically take a hammer to the box and just like smash the shit out of the box instead of solving the puzzle. <laughs> and then for some reason, 
Benoit Blanc, played by Daniel Craig, gets a box. And he's like, I don't know why I'm here. He shows up at the island. Uh, turns out Miles doesn't really know why he's there because he didn't send him a box. And so they're all on this island for a murder mystery party. And then things get real. And then Benoit Block has to solve what is really going on. And it has a weird pacing to it. It's two hours and 20 minutes long. Okay. And it feels that because we kind of get the story and then we sort of get a revisit of certain parts of the story. I'm trying not to spoil anything. And so it has a weird pacing issue that I would say. And I figured out almost immediately (laughs) who the perpetrator was, unlike the first movie in which I was like constantly trying to reassess what was happening. This movie, Mm -hmm. I don't think does that as well. And I don't think the cast of characters, even though the, the cast of actors is fantastic. I didn't find the cast of characters as intriguing as I did in Knives Out. Okay. I think Knives Out has like a perfect cast of of interesting characters that you love or love to hate. And I don't feel like we get to know most of these characters very much. They're very much a a cipher or like a character, like men's right, men's right activist, movie star. Like these are the kinds of things that that we're getting. And so I don't feel like there is interesting as the characters. And we don't get that kind of one-on-one interrogation or anything. So I don't feel like we really get to know these characters as much as we did the family at Knives Out. So mm-hmm. I, it sounds like I'm being negative. This movie is really fun. I had a blast watching it. I laughed so much. I think it's it's smart in what it does. Um, it kind of surprises a little bit in some of the, the complications that arise. It's just, I think okay. Knives Out is just a, almost a perfect movie. So Yeah. But it's good. Okay. I can't wait for people to see I'm it. I'm excited to see it. It's just, like, fun. It's, like, a fun... I feel mm-hmm. like it's a good time for that kind of movie to come out. Holiday, whodunit kind of scenario. I mean, Daniel Craig never gets to be funny like he does in these movies. Oh, it's he's so, cool so funny in this. Him, like, be funny and, like, not just, like, a very strict-looking British man. But he gets to, like, chew scenery. And it's mm-hmm. really cool to watch him get to be in movies like that. It's just... It's a joy. He's he's a funny guy. He he's is. good at comedy. He really is. And I wasn't sure how I was going to feel because I felt like they were centering... Benoit Blanc a little bit more in this one than they did in the first one and they do and I was like I'm not sure how that dynamic is going to play out because sometimes you get a little too much of something but he is he is one of the best parts of this movie him and Janelle Monae are are two of my favorite Uh parts of this followed very closely by Kate Hudson and then there's some really fun um, cameos uh, that I'm not going to spoil that just like yeah ah it's it's good so it's a lot of fun I think everyone will really enjoy it it'll be a good movie to watch while you might be stuck home with family members over christmas so yeah um and then also you what you're talking a sci-fi horror prequel yes i don't actually think i know what this is this is a this is a last minute edition because uh, i didn't know this was a thing until uh today and then i found myself listening to all six episodes it is a podcast a limited podcast series um called the callisto protocol helix station and it is oh. a prequel to the video game, which is being released uh, as of this episode drop. And it is a podcast audio oh. series um, huh. starring Gwendolyn Christie, Michael Ironside, uh, Kevin Durand, who is not as well known, but we will know him as the the murderer in uh, Tragedy Girls. Tragedy mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it serves as a prequel story to the video game that is out now. All six episodes are out. It um, follows these two, they call them skip tracers, which I guess is like a 
the futuristic version of a bounty hunter um, played mm. by Percy, played by Gwendolyn Christie, and Kane, played by Michael Ironside, who mm-hmm. it opens up in the middle of them um, trying to uh, capture one of their bounties, who is like this deranged person that has been capturing people and basically giving them lobotomies and then forcing them to eat each other. Like that is the opening, <laughs> the opening what? sequence of this story, and it's audio, so all we hear is like, "Oh, recommend wearing headphones with this one uh, because the audio is in." They say three dimensional, but I can definitely could tell, like it felt like it was around me. Um, it really immerses me in it because there's a lot of sound effects. It's not just like an audio book. There's a lot of gnarly sounds there's a lot of like mm, pew pew pewing chewing. and all that kind of stuff a lot of what i'm pew, sorry pew what? pewing pew 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 <laughs> 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 um and after this case they're like uh you start to realize that percy gwendolyn when gwendolyn's character percy um is very traumatized by something. She keeps tapping um, kind of this painkiller into her spine um, and it's dampening her memories, which sort of come through in an almost like an oral nightmare of hallucinations that we hear at sometimes. She's dealing with some kind of deep-seated trauma. They get um, basically hired by um, some kind of... Uh, police thing to like go back to this station called the helix station which turns out they're hiring her because percy whatever her trauma was took place on the helix station which is now this dead zone of a place where it's nuclear radiated no one has been there for 20 years and someone has escaped from some prison and is hiding out there and they want them to go get this person back and so it's the two of them with some very dubious intent um police uh, justice people officers that are mm-hmm. all out to go get them and it has like vibes of i would say um a little bit of um like oh god that pt or pw pt pws anderson event horizon has a little bit of okay. that has a little bit of alien vibes to it um it's very very quick 25-ish minute episodes. Um, oh, cool. Okay. Really well produced. Like, I was enamored with how good it sounds. And considering that this game is dropping today, I was like, this is the perfect time for me to to listen to it. Because depending on what the reviews are, I'm going to probably play it. But it's good. I'd recommend it. Hell yeah. It's the Callisto Protocol cool. Helix Station. And it is available. I mean, it's available on Apple. So I'm assuming it's available everywhere where this podcast. That aside... <laughs> Let's talk about a killer call, a killer call, killer doll come back to life. What did we watch this week, Mary Beth? So we have started our child's play journey this week with child's play numero dos. Yes. Um, which is from, hold on. When is it from? 1990, I think. Yeah. It is from, it is from yeah, it is from 1990. Directed by John. Yeah. So this is your first time watching it. Um, yes. Well, okay, so very briefly, this takes place, I think, like two years or a couple, a little bit after uh, yeah. the first one. Andy's mother is now in a psychiatric hospital. He's been placed in foster care, and we're picking up with him at a new foster family. 
and it goes from there. But this was your first time watching it. So um, what did you think, Mary Beth? Absolutely adore 10 out of 10 better than Child's Play, in my opinion. Same. Chucky is way scarier. Chucky is way more of a douchebag. And that fucking puppet in this one is so fucking good. Like, I was like, that's not, that's real, right? Like, it's just, it's such a good puppet. Mm-hmm. And the ending sequence in the factory. Perfection. So good. And Kyle is top final girl of all time. Mm. Forever and ever, amen. Love it. Chucky. So, like, Child's Play is scary. But Child's Play 2 is scarier, I think. Okay. I think that, to me, and, like, perhaps I'm misremembering, but I just, I feel like because in this one, Chucky is, like, everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's not just, like, Chucky in the apartment. Like, he he's he is traveling places and is, like, much more mobile than he has been, and he feels way more, like, an even scarier threat. Like, he's not just a doll in this one to me like and they make him so scary like they they, you know the inherent concept of like a killer doll that looks like chucky is pretty silly but in this one they make him like i think even scarier and like more of like a human threat and it then i think in the first one i think it's kind of comes into the care like the character's own in this a lot and he is just 10 times scarier and meaner and i think they don't pull any punches and hurting the kid again either like this kid this kid is like put through the ringer and also this is a really i mean it's about foster care it's two kids in foster care who have like been fucked over by trauma and poor kid is like trying to tell people that there's a goddamn killer doll and everyone just thinks he's a psycho and it's just a lot of this kid feeling completely alone and like gaslit and it's 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 like it's pretty troubling if you think about it. Like it's a pretty troubling movie as the kid is like trying to cope with this drama and everyone thinks he's a psychotic kid, but he's like no, but but for real. <laughs> yeah, I think like I I'm glad that you said that about Chucky because uh my note when I'm looking back at my notes that I took while rewatching this one and I said Chucky feels like a real person in this one, more personality yeah. and an actual character. And I think that this is the time that we get to see uh, Don Mancini um, inject more of his probably story into it because, you know, the first yeah. one was a story by him, but then the screenplay was by John Lafia who directed this one and also Tom Holland. And mm-hmm. I, if I remember correctly, I believe there were some things that were added that, that um, maybe Don wasn't too happy with, but, you know, we've okay. already established sort of like, um, the print, the kind of principle behind it and what's happening. So yeah. then he just sort of ran with it. But I feel like mm-hmm. this script is a lot better than the first one. I think that yeah. it, it makes, well, it makes Chucky more of an interesting character than just like, yes, a murderer stuck in a, a doll. Like there is, there's some humor. I think we can start to see like some of the humor that I think the series becomes known for. I love the point where he, cause there's more good good guy dolls, and there's one at, at the foster home that that uh, Andy is living at named Tommy. And yeah. there's a point where Chucky gets rid of Tommy, and he's like, "Hi, I'm Tommy." <laughs> it's like he says that as opposed to saying, "You know, hi, I'm Chucky," right? And so there, I think there's like more moments of that where we get to see sort of like the little twinkle in the eye of, of Chucky that he's not that he's a little yeah. bit more than just a serial killer. Yeah, again, I think Brad Dourif has so much more room to play with this mm-hmm. one, too. It feels like he's hamming it up even more, like, with the laugh. And I just think that, again, this is, like, where Chucky feels like Chucky. Yep. Even more. It's, like, it just... 
it's fucking great. And again, at the end in the toy in the toy factory, just all of the bits and like the the colorful kind of plastic, almost Willy Wonka feel of it versus all the violence. And it like Chucky refuses to die and is like covered in blood and is dragging his body across the floor. And it's like darkly funny and also kind of fucking creepy. And it's just I've heard it. I heard it was really good. So I am excited that it lived up to that. And it, it really is a fucking blast. Yeah. And I love the, the I mean, I've it's been a while since I've seen it, and so rewatching it, I was immediately mm-hmm. enamored with the opening uh, sequence that sort of like marries a gothic hammer tone with like technology. Like as as Chuckley yeah. is being re put back together, it kind of reminded me a little bit of like the Terminator or like the Million Dollar Man. We will build him. We will make him stronger. Like just him getting put back together. But the score behind it is so like gothic horror that it just it's this yeah. juxtaposition of like modern with like the old that I think just works so incredibly well with the, the feel of this, of this particular film. I a hundred percent agree. I, I know that the third one isn't as good, but that's okay. Yeah, it's not. I think it has a good climax from what I remember, but like, you know what? We got a, we got a bunch more to go that I hear are very fun and good. So it's okay. Yeah. And the father's a dick. Like that guy, the, oh, God, the foster father. Oh like, God. What a wiener. I love when he dies. That sounds terrible. Same, but. but same. There's some really good gags in this, but I'll tell you, that factory sequence, I the first time I saw this movie, because um, I didn't see it as a kid, uh, I remember seeing Child's Play, and then that was pretty much it. And so I was re- I was watching it for the first time a few years ago. I mean, maybe maybe it's like eight or nine years ago now. I don't I don't remember exactly. But I was being I was remember thinking, wow, this this finale is epic in such a fantastic way, just at the factory and the the practical effects work. It just... And it keeps going. Yeah. It's like, okay, you did it. Okay, you did it. Jesus Christ, you fucking He's did the Terminator. It. <laughs> he is. It's but like, And he does feel scary. Like, again, mm-hmm. they make this doll feel so terrifying. And I think that's a really big accomplishment to make something that, again, is kind of silly and campy and, and make it into something that, like, is very much a threat. And not just like in a like a uh, the devil is in this doll kind of way, but in like a no, this doll is full on like a person kind of way. Hell yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed well, it. Yes, I am glad too. I'm very excited to finally be watching all of these movies and clear up another another spot in my horror knowledge that I am not as well versed in. So that means that um next week we are continuing our our way through the franchise of child's play three which will be very interesting to watch and discuss versus this one that i had so much fun in and alex vincent is the cutest little boy oh, i love so him adorable. so much with his turkey cutter his turkey carver the little man and his best sweater he's had the best sweaters mm-hmm. i like want to design sweaters <laughs> off of what he was wearing they were so cute anyway so Child's Play 3 is next week. And then on Monday, Terry, who are we chatting with? Uh, speaking of uh, Knives Out and Glass Onion, <laughs> we are talking with, and he has a fun little bit of cameo in this. Uh, we are talking with Noah Segan, uh, who is an actor who has been in, I think, every single Ryan Johnson movie that has come out. I think he's been oh, every single one. Oh, has he been every single one? I believe so. And he continues it with Glass Onion, but he also, the reason why we were talking with him is because he had his debut feature film, um, 
debut feature film debut is feature film debut (laughs) (laughs) words are hard y'all as a writer and director called blood relatives which is out on shutter as we speak it's a lot of fun and he wrote directed and stars in it and so we talk about that and we also talk about stand by me won't you stand by me the Stephen yeah, King it, classic. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it's a classic. It's so good. It's so we talk a lot about sadness and growing up and realizing what it's like to be a grown up. It's really good. Yeah. So get ready for that. But listeners, you have heard from us. We want to hear from you. Did you watch or listen to anything that we talked about this week and have thoughts? Do you have suggestions for movies we should be talking about? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm McGaley Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at scarredpodcast. Please don't forget to review, rate, subscribe, and join us on our Patreon. As we said at the top of the show, we have a lot of content coming your way this month, so come join us. Come join us. We're funny. <laughs> um and then you can watch uh, the video versions of these mm-hmm. where we make funny faces. Pew, pew, pew. Anyway, uh, thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. <laughs> thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.